We are going to 1 Kings chapter number 18. 1 Kings chapter number 18, beginning in verse number 41, a familiar passage of scripture. The Bible says, then Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. And then he bowed down to the ground, and he put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up, look toward the sea. So he went up and he looked and he said, there is nothing. And seven times he said, go again. And then he came back the seventh time and said, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. And so he said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. How many of you know you need to believe that you receive before you see it? They, they, he didn't wait until the clouds were dark. He didn't wait till it looked like it was going to pour. He got a little tiny indication and he said, get ready. It's going to rain. If you don't get off of this mountain now, you're going to get stuck on the mountain. Now it happened in the meantime that then the sky became black with clouds and wind and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah and he girded up his loins and he ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Today, as we consider continue in our series, Mental Health Goals, I want to take a page from the old commercial. Some of you may have remembered it. It would say, this is your brain. They would show a picture of the brain, right? And then it would show another picture and say, this is your brain on drugs. Well, I want to talk to you about your brain on drugs. I want to talk to you about your brain on prayer. My title is, this is your brain on drugs prayer. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you minister by your grace and your power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit that makes all the difference in the world. We give you the praise and the honor in Jesus' name. And everybody said, you may be seated. Well, last time in our series, we left off talking about pre-framing our future by imagining forward by faith in God's word to you, which we learned is how all of the Bible greats affected the periods of history that they lived through. They changed their futures by pre-imagining what God had promised until they saw that come to pass. And we learned that there are three mental health tools that we can all use to pre-frame our future. The first one, just quick review, was you need to prophesy your story. The second one was you need to pre-decide your choices. The third one, and this is where we left off last time, is you need to plant your seed because the seed we sow today is what we will see tomorrow. The tomorrow harvest is off of the seed that we sow today. So if we want to pre-frame our future tomorrow consistent with God's plan for our lives, we have to sow the necessary seed Today, what we sow today, we will see tomorrow. And you might recall if you were here, or maybe if you missed it, that's why I'm reviewing, that we gave you four seeds that everybody can sow today in order to have the future that God wants you to have. The first one was humility. That's the seed you sow today for God's favor tomorrow. Generosity. That's the seed you sow today for God's double blessing tomorrow. Obedience is the seed you sow today for God's overflow tomorrow. And then we left off with kindness. 
the seed you sow today to see God's reciprocity tomorrow. These are four amazing seeds that will literally alter or pre-frame your future so you can enjoy the future that God wants you to have. But none of them is as good as the seed that I want to share with you today, and that is the seed of prayer. Prayer is the way we write history before it happens. Let me say that again. Prayer is the way that we write history before it happens. It is the difference between letting things happen and making things happen. Prayer enables us to arrive at what God has pre-planned for our future. Prayer brings what is already done and established in the unseen realm into the seen realm. When we come to our story, God has already told Elijah that he is going to send rain. First Kings chapter 18, verse number one. Here's what it says. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, go present yourself to Ahab. I will send rain on the earth. God had already decided the rain was not just in the forecast, but it was assuredly in the future. Yet in our opening text, we find Elijah still praying for the rain. If God's will were automatic regarding what happens in our future, it would be a pointless act for Elijah to have prayed for the rain after God promised the rain. But because... In his predeterminate counsel, God has sanctioned prayer as the vehicle by which his will manifests in our lives. We must pray now in order to effect with an E as opposed to affect with an A our future tomorrow. And so we find Elijah praying. Matter of fact, he puts his head between his legs, indicating to us that prayer is the birthing position through which the promises of God manifest in our life. It's the place from which we bring what God has planned into our reality. But prayer is also the impregnating position. It's the birthing position and the impregnating position. It is first where we see or imagine the future that God has for us because that's where he plants what he wants for our lives in our hearts. And so prayer is both the place where we begin to imagine the future God has for us and how we receive the future that God has planned for us. Prayer, therefore, is the impregnating position and the birthing position. It helps us to imagine or dream the future that God has for us. So dreaming big Starts with praying hard. Why don't we have bigger dreams? Don't pray too much. The more you pray, the bigger your dreams will get. And the bigger your dreams get, the more that you will have to pray. And so to sum all that up, prayer then is both a way of pre-framing and pre-imagining your future and experiencing the future that God has for you. And because prayer invites and attracts the power and the presence of God, it is perhaps the greatest pre-framing tool that we can employ in order to experience the future that God has for us. And so when we come to the text, we find Elijah praying with his head between his knees. 
And this tells us that he is contending. Prayer sometimes is fighting in the heavenlies. And he's praying for God to send the rain. By the way, when I was preparing this message, I heard God say this. He said, tell somebody that there's rain in their future. That there's the rain of God's goodness in your future. There's the rain of God's double blessing in your future. There's the rain of God's favor in your future. There's the rain of his restoration in your future. There's the rain of your freedom from sin in the future. The rain of blessing on your house, on your coming in, on your going out, on your rising up, on your lying down. Your future is filled with the rain of God's goodness. Come on, somebody. Give God some praise in this house. But we need to pray for rain. We need to believe God and pray that the rain is coming. If you can't see rain in your future, then pray till you get impregnated with the vision of rain being in your future. You know the story. At first, it doesn't look like the prayers are working. There's no evidence that Elijah's prayers are producing. It looked like a failed dream and an unfulfilled promise. It looked like spiritual abortion. Do you know for... for Christians who rightfully voice their opinion against aborting babies, we abort a lot of dreams. And the reason why we abort a lot of dreams is because it takes prayer in order to birth dreams. And so God puts stuff in our heart and then we don't pray it through until we see it and we spiritually abort things. But Elijah, despite what it looks like in the natural, he doubles down and he tells his servant, go back and to you to, to look again and he goes back and he comes back and he says still nothing and seven times he tells him go back and each time he goes back what does Elijah do he prays why he is fighting for what God has promised he is doing warfare in the heavenlies I want you to know that not every promise of God will simply come to pass every promise of God needs to be contended for until you see it come to pass and so somebody needs needs to hear, pray again. Even if you think it failed, pray again. Even if you don't see any change, pray again. Even if life and circumstances have told you that prayer doesn't work, pray again. Don't give up on your dream. Don't settle for less than the future God has for you. Don't resign yourself to some spiritual understanding that is wrong of God's sovereignty. Understand that God's will for your life comes to the planet when you contend for it in prayer. He says, go, go again. Jesus said, men ought always to pray and never to faint. Listen to me. Here's something that will free you. Don't focus on outcomes. Focus on inputs. Your job is the inputs. Prayer is an input. See, the scripture tells us that we sow seeds, right? And and we plant, but God gives the harvest. Do your part and leave everything else up to God. God, I can tell you this, will not answer a 100% of the prayers that you don't pray. Let me say that again. God will not answer a 100% of the prayers that you do not pray. You need to pray through 
pray again, pray again, pray again. So prayer is the seed we sow today that enables us to see God's sovereign, supernatural, settled plan for tomorrow. Now here's the question. What's stopping us from praying? Loaded question, isn't it? Lots of answers to why we don't pray. I just want to hone in on one. I believe one answer is preconditioned panic by past or present problems. Preconditioned panic by past or present problems. Let me give you an illustration of this from my own life. When I was a young boy, and I forget how old it was, I suppose I could have looked it up. I saw the movie Jaws. Anybody else remember the movie Jaws when it came out? I mean, it, that movie just stuck with me. From that moment forward, every time I saw water, I panicked. Okay, and I'm not just talking about ocean water. I'm talking about any kind of water. Now, it wasn't where I broke out into cold sweats or anything, but I was afraid to go in the water. Matter of fact, we had a swimming pool, an in-ground swimming pool, all through my growing up years. And I worked in landscaping when I was in high school and into college a little bit and so on and so forth. And at the end of the day, when I was hot, I would love to jump in the pool to cool off. The only problem was Jaws. Say, Pastor, that doesn't make any sense. Well, that's what panic is, right? Some panic is irrational. And so I would look at the pool water and I was looking for jaws in the pool water. And I believed, as crazy as this was, that there was a secret compartment in the bottom of the pool that when I jumped into the swimming pool, jaws would jump out of that secret compartment and eat me before I got up. Now, I knew this was irrational, but as irrational as it was, what I used to do is I used to tell myself, it, it, it can't happen. I'd jump in the pool. I'd swim to the other side as fast as I can. I'd get up out of the water. And I'd be like, he didn't get me today. He didn't get me. Seriously, this is going on in my mind. Preconditioned panic because of a traumatic movie experience as a child. By the way, do not think for one second that the stuff that your children are exposed to when they are small doesn't have an impact on them for the rest of their lives, which is why, and I know I'm going to get some hate mail for this, they are now trying to indoctrinate kids in kindergarten. Because they know if we are going to change a generation, we got to start young. We got to start letting them think this is right and this is normal and this is nothing wrong with it. Right when they're in kindergarten, because by the time they get to adults, if we can groom that generation, this is what that generation will be. And so preconditioning sometimes is in the form of panic, things that marks you. Second example from my life between the ages of seventh, second, and fifth grade, I was chubby. That's another, that's a, that's the polite, politically correct way of saying fat, right? And it, you, fat people will usually, and I can speak like this because I've been fat and skinny, right? I've been bought on both. Fat people won't refer to themselves. They say, I'm chubby. You know, I, I'm big bone. Well, I was chubby when I was between second and, and fifth grade. And my mom busts out them pictures every now and again, and it drives me nuts. Anyway, I, I used to bring this health cookie to school. And it was pretty big. And the reason why I brought a health cookie to school, it was something like my carob chips and all that kind of jazz, is because I, I knew that the real cookies 
would make me even larger, right? And so all throughout second to fifth grade, I would have the health cookie there. And and it wasn't, it was kind of like, you know, under the radar a little bit. Nobody really knew it was a health cookie. But to this day, when I see cookies, I get fat panic. To this day, when I see cookies, I think I'm going to get fat from them cookies. I'm going to get fat. Now, if you eat like a gazillion of them, you will get fat. But one cookie ain't going to hurt nobody, right? But when I see one cookie and I think, oh, that's, that's going to make me preconditioned panic moments that happen to all of us by virtue of past or present problems. And, and this happens, by the way, at a neurological level, believe it or not. There is something, and I've talked about this before, it's called the amygdala. The amygdala is a little almond-shaped part of your brain. And it is responsible for your emotions and your survival instincts. Matter of fact, when we are afraid, the amygdala lights up like a pinball machine and it produces this fight-or-flight instinct or response and it deploys a, a tsunami of adrenaline preparing our body for action. Now, this is good if you're in the ocean and Jaws is really going to get you. But this is not good if you're in the backyard swimming pool, right? This is, this is stuff that causes you to panic and causes you, your emotions to go to an unhealthy place. And really what happens when you have irrational panic as a result of past or present problems is your amygdala gets hijacked. It's actually a psychological term. They call it amygdala hijack, right? Everyone deals with their amygdala getting hijacked when problems and preconditioned panic sets in. And when problems and preconditioned panic sets in and the amygdala begins to go crazy, we forget about the presence of God and we don't pray and we become consumed with the problem or the panic in the moment. Even Elijah felt that way. You remember the story. Elijah's got a match, right, with the prophets of Baal. I call it UFC BC. It's a showdown with these, with these prophets of, of a false god. 450 to 1, he is outnumbered. But how many of you know when you're outnumbered, that's when God shows up, right? The match was that each side prepares an offering and calls on their God to consume the offering by fire. And whichever God does, he's God. BDB, Big Daddy Bell, right? He's a no-show. But to ensure that all the onlookers, including a backslidden Israel, that, that God Jehovah is the LOL, the Lord of Lords. See, you threw that right in there, right there. To ensure that everybody knows he is the Lord of Lords. What does Elijah do? Before he calls on God, he wets all of the wood under the offering with water in a drought, mind you, right? And then he calls on God. And what happens is obviously God Jehovah responds. He consumes the offering. He, he consumes all the wood. He consumes all the water. And he even consumes all the rocks, right? He leaves nothing undone. How many of you know when God responds? you'll know God responds. When God responds, he touches and he fixes everything. Israel all of a sudden rejoices. They return to God. Elijah kills 450 of the prophets of Baal and all Israel begins to sing, fire, fire, fall on us, right? Oh, everybody's singing C.C. Winans back in the day, right? What's happening? You, you would feel like Elijah's like on top of the world at this point. And then, as if there needs to be a then. How many of you know sometimes we as Christians get it twisted because we think 
God needs to do more. As if there needs to be then. As if after the resurrection, there needs to be a then. As if after he got up, there needs to be a then. As if after he defeated death, there needs to be a then. As as if after the grave proved that it was not more powerful than the author and the finisher of our faith, there needs to be a then. As if there needs to be a then after he flicked the stone out of the way like it was a pebble. As if there needs to be a then after he got up holding the keys of death, hell, and the grave. As if there needs needs to be a then. But how many of you know he's such a good God, there's always more. That's why he calls himself El Shaddai, the God who is more than enough. God answers by fire for Elijah, and then God answers by rain. Elijah gets on his knees and he prays, and God sends the torrential rain that we read about. So you would think That from that moment forward, Elijah would be walking around with his chest out and his shoulders back saying he's the God who answers by fire and who sends the rain. By the way, just as an aside, you know when the blessings of God begin to flow in your life? After God purifies you with fire. Some of the reason why the rain is not flowing in some people's lives is because they haven't been consumed by the fire of God. And when you're consumed by the fire of God, your chain, your likes, your dislikes, they begin to get into alignment with God's word. Instead of you trying to be culturally correct, all of a sudden you walk in biblical correctness. That's when you know the fire of God has touched your life. And when the fire of God has touched your life, the byproduct of that is here comes the rain of his blessing, torrential rain that drown you out you would think Elijah will be walking around he's the God who sends the fire he's the God who consumes, sends a consuming fire and he's the God who sends the rain but the wicked queen Jezebel heard that Elijah did to the prophets of Baal what he did to the prophets of Baal she sends him a little death threat 1st Kings chapter 19 verse number 2 Then Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. To which Elijah's amygdala amygdala gets hijacked. This is a guy who just saw, I mean think about this, he just saw God literally send fire from heaven. God literally sent torrential rain to end the drought. And all of a sudden, he goes into a panic. First Kings chapter 19, verse number 3. And when he saw that, when he saw the death threat, he arose and he ran for his life. And he went to Bathsheba, which belongs to Judah. He left his servant there, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And he came and sat underneath a broom tree. And after he prayed that he might die, and he said, it is enough. Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. When panic sets in because of past or present problems, we get consumed by the presence of what's going on in our life or what has happened to us, and we forget to pray and invite the presence of Almighty God in our life. And not only does our amygdala get hijacked, but so does our present and our future, namely our ability to imagine forward and dream. When your life is consumed with problems and panic and all of that, all of a sudden your ability to preframe, to dream about your future is robbed from you. Notice the panic pushed Elijah to a place where he wanted to give up on the rest of his future. 
What did he say? Lord, I wish I was dead. It's amazing how momentary light afflictions can rob us of everything that God has before us. He pushes the panic button. His amygdala goes off. And all of a sudden you find Elijah in a really, really dark place after he saw the fire and after he witnessed the rain. But I don't know about you. I'm glad God hasn't answered some of my prayers. Elijah said, oh, Lord, I wish I would die. I know in my own life I have prayed prayers that I am so grateful God never answered. I'm grateful that God is the one who hears who hears what we're praying, and he is the one who decides, well, if I answer that, this is going to happen. And sometimes we may not understand all of the ins and outs of that particular thing, but here's what I've learned. When I cannot see the hand of God, I can always trust the heart of God. I know that my Father knows what is best for me, and I trust him. So he, he panics. What is the answer to when our mind goes into panic? And by the way, panic praying is really not praying. It's just panic, right? Have you ever panic prayed? It's really not praying. It's just, just panic. You know, when you just dump out everything on God because of everything that's going wrong. We got to get to a place of, of real prayer because real prayer does wonders for your mind. Three things that prayer does for your mind from our story and from Another text that I want to draw your attention to, and then we're done. Number one, prayer, real prayer reminds us that God is near. Look at this scripture. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I want you to notice first that prayer reminds us that God is near. Notice the proximity in the verse between the phrase, the Lord is at hand, and but in everything, by prayer and supplication. Coincidence? No. Conclusion? Yes. When you pray... You are suddenly shifted from a fixation on the problems, from a fixation on the panic, to an understanding that God is near, to an understanding that your heavenly Father is with you in that moment. Prayer moves your focus off of the presence of problems and onto the presence of God. And when you remember that God is near, your mind says, nothing to fear. When you remember that God is near, your mind says nothing to fear. Second thing that prayer does for your mind is it causes anxiety and panic to leave. I've told this story before, but I want to tell it again. It's my KK story. Some of you have heard the KK story. Well, who is KK? KK was the big brother of this kid in the other fourth grade of the elementary school that I went to. And this other kid in the other fourth grade, every time you got into any type of this or that with him, or if he just wanted to bully, he would threaten, I'm going to get my brother KK after you. And KK was six foot six. And he went to the same school. I think he was in the sixth grade. Somebody six foot six in the sixth grade looks like Goliath, right? And he said, I'm going to get KK after you. And so sure enough, he said, he's going to get KK after me. The next day, my mother woke me up for school. I said, oh, I'm not, I'm not going to school today, mom. She said, what's wrong? Oh, I'm not feeling good. My stomach hurts. She said, oh, you, uh, all right, all right, you can stay home, you know. And that when I stayed in bed, faking it the whole time. Next day, she woke me up. I said, oh, my stomach's still bothering me, Mom. She said, really? You know, I haven't seen you go to the bathroom too much. And, you know, you ate all right today. Was, you know, are you? All right, all right. Next day, she woke me up. I ain't going to school. So finally, my mind, what's going on? 
And after I tried to weasel out, I said, I said, I can't go to school because KK is going to get me if I go to school. He is going to beat me up. To which my dad said, no problem. I will come to school and I will sit overlooking the schoolyard. So when you are let out for recess, I will be there and nothing will happen to you. And as soon as my dad said that, I was, I was okay going to school. Now here's the thing. When it came time for recess, everybody ran out. I didn't run straight out. I got right up on the door and I looked. First thing I saw was KK. And as I'm serving, the next thing I saw was my father. And suddenly when I understood that my father was there in the presence of the problems, I understood that he would protect me. I understood that he would fight for me. I understood that he would intervene. I understood that he was watching out for me. I understood that he was protecting me. And if need be, he would get me up out of there if KK began to beat me up. By the way, when God gets us up out of here, It's not a loss. Sometimes we look at people who pass on in the Lord. We think, well, that was a loss. Not really. God was just getting them up out of here. So that where he is, they will be also. That's why the Bible says precious in the sight of God is the death of his saints. Because from God's point of view, they're with him. They're safe. The presence of God causes anxiety and worry and panic to leave. How do you get the presence of God? Pray. No, the Lord is near. And then when you realize that God is near and anxiety and panic begin to leave, the third thing that prayer does for your mind is it produces a peace. Notice again the text. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. What kind of peace? First of all, it's a peace that passes all understanding. In other words, it defies circumstances. In other words, it lifts me above my problems. In other words, it doesn't consume me. In other words, it does not mess up my mind. It allows me to function in the face of full-on, straight-up situations that cause other people to lose their mind. It gives us a feeling, like we used to say in old church, that everything is going to be all right. Anybody remember old church? I got a feeling everything's going to be all right. I got a feeling everything's going to be all right. Be all right. Be all right. Be all right. See, y'all don't know nothing about that. What I love about that song, by the way, is not just the chorus, but listen to the verses. God sent Moses to lead all his people out. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He thought he'd give him a new route. So he chased them all down to the Red Sea shore. He thought he wouldn't have to worry about Moses anymore. But Moses stretched out his rod over the sea. And the Lord answered Moses with a gentle breeze. I can see Moses now with a smile on his face. Telling all the people with his gentle grace. I got a feeling everything's going to be all right. Yeah, I got a feeling everything's going to be all right. Be all right. Be all right. Be all right. What is that? That's the peace of God. 
Listen to verse number two. A little boy named David went out to fight the giant. And everyone laughed at such a funny little sight. A little shepherd boy armed only with a sling beside mighty Goliath seemed like such a puny thing. But David said, you come to me with a spear and a sword, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. He put a stone in and he gave it a fling. And when it left his hand, David began to sing. What did he sing? Got a feeling everything's going to be all right. Yes, I got a feeling everything's going to be all right. Why? He had a peace that passes all in third verse, last one. And now for the greatest story of them all. Jesus was a dying and hell had a ball. All the demons were rejoicing. They thought they'd won the war. But soon they would not be laughing anymore. On the first day of the week, the sun woke up the earth. The caverns of the deep opened up as to give birth to a resurrected Savior with healing in his wings. And now all of the children rise and sing. I got a feeling everything's going to be all right. What is that? That's a peace that passes all understanding. What does that peace come from? It doesn't come from perfect circumstances. It comes from prayer. Prayer produces that peace because prayer flips you, your focus, from the presence of the problems to the presence of the God who is Lord over the problems. And notice what this piece does. It guards your heart and mind. Let me explain this at a neurological level. God has given us another portion of the brain that helps us to counterbalance the amygdala. It's called the prefrontal cortex. It is the logical part of the brain. If the amygdala, amygdala is the fight or flight part of your brain that yells, shark! Your prefrontal cortex is the part that says, no, it's probably just a dolphin. When panic sets in, there is always a battle between your amygdala and your prefrontal cortex. The amygdala says, Jaws is going to eat you. The prefrontal cortex says, it's only a swimming pool. The amygdala says, yeah, but there's a secret compartment at the bottom of the pool. The prefrontal cortex says, yeah, but pools don't, don't have those. The amygdala says, yeah, but this is a special pool. And the prefrontal cortex goes, yeah, but in order for a shark to live in a special compartment underneath the swimming pool, it would have to be connected to the ocean. And you are in the middle of the suburbs, in the middle of land. There's no water around. And the amygdala goes, yeah, I know, but it's under there anyway. And the prefrontal cortex says, no, it's not. The amygdala says, yes, it is. The prefrontal cortex says, no, it's not. Is not, is not, is not, is not. If you're not careful. You get this mind battle going on. Little angel, little devil. How do you get the logical part of your brain to kick in when you're panicking for all of the wrong reasons? Prayer. It guards your heart and mind. When we pray, the product is a peace that guards us not just against irrational panic, but even against rational panic. A real reason for panic. Well, I know I'm in an ocean and I am on a surfboard and that really does look like a shark right there. That's rational panic right there. And all of a sudden, 
prayer says, yeah, but if God could shut the mouth of lions for Daniel, he could shut the mouth of the sharks in the middle of the ocean for you. Well, I really don't have enough money to pay my mortgage. But all of a sudden, prayer says, yeah, but he is Jehovah Jireh, the God who sees in advance and provides. Well, there's no way that God can turn this around and bring good out of it. And all of a sudden, in prayer, the Holy Spirit says, but he works all things together for the good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. There is no way that this can ever make, uh, I can ever get out of this. Yeah, but he makes a way where there seems to be no way. He puts a road in your ocean and rivers in your desert. Prayer causes a guarding peace to come all on your heart and on your mind. When you pray with the help of the Holy Spirit, we employ the prefrontal cortex as a burly, thuggish bouncer standing outside the door of our minds, attentively checking IDs and not allowing in any thought that doesn't meet the scriptural criteria of being true and noble and right and loving and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. If the thought is inconsistent with the word of God, prayer allows you to wrestle it to the ground and cause it to tap out. And the reason why we are overwhelmed in these moments and we are robbed of our ability to imagine the future that God has for us and see ourselves walking in the problem is because we have forgotten about the power of prayer. This is what ultimately happens with Elijah. He runs and he hides in a cave and God stands outside the cave And he says, come on out here. And you know the story goes outside. And all of a sudden there's this great earthquake, but God wasn't in that. And then there's this great wind, but God's not in that. And then there's this this great fire, but God's not in that. Earth, wind, and fire, right? God's not in any of that. But then there's this still small voice. The Bible calls it a whisper. Some versions say a silence that can be heard. You all know about silence that can be heard, right? You know, when you know something's wrong with somebody. They don't have the courage to tell you. Silence that can be heard. God's got a silence that can be heard. It's called this whisper. It's called this voice. Why a whisper? Prayer reminds us God is near. That stops the panic and produces a peace. In order to hear a whisper, you have to be close. And that's why God whispers. He wants us to know I'm right here. Through it all, no matter what's going on, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You're not facing this alone. If you're too tired, I'll give you rest. If you're too wounded, I'll heal you. If you're too weak to move forward, I'll carry you. Prayer reminds us that God is near. But the other reason God whispers is because when somebody that you're close to whispers, what do you do? You lean in. You lean in. And isn't that The wonder of God's whisper. Isn't that really where the magic happens? When we lean in to the voice of God. It's when we lean in that we really learn that that what God has for us, we really learn that there is a way forward. If you read the story, God says to Elijah, return and anoint Israel's next king and find your replacement. By the way, not as punishment, but as legacy. 
In other words, what he's telling him is, let's move on with life now, Elijah. Now that you know that I'm with you, now that you know that I'm walking by you, now that you remember that I really am the God who sends the fire and the God who responds with rain, now that you know that, can we get back to the future that I have planned for you? You go now as my representative, anoint Israel's next king. You go now and find your replacement so that when it's time for you to leave, there is a legacy of what you and I have done here on this earth it's time to move forward that's what prayer does prayer allows you to dream again that's what prayer does i've shared this before but prayer has actually been scientifically studied to positively affect your brain dr andrew newberg director of research at thomas jefferson hospital and medical college who studies the brain using neural imaging he said prayer is like a physical workout for the brain it changes its chemistry just like when you do push-ups and sit-ups and burpees and and whatever else you do i don't know <laughs> changes your body Prayer does that to your mind. Dr. Carolyn Leaf, a communication pathologist in cognitive neuroscience, says it has been found that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. It can change. It's happening in your brain. So this is your brain without prayer, consumed with panic. This is your brain without prayer. Focused on problems. This is your brain without prayer. Overcome by anxiety. This is your brain without prayer. Depressed and despondent and damaged. But this is your brain on prayer. Focused on God's presence, not life's problems. This is your brain on prayer. Full of the peace of God and absent of panic. This is your brain on prayer. Freed from the past and dreaming about the future. This is your brain on prayer. Imagining a brighter day and a better tomorrow. This is your brain on prayer. Picturing the promises of God coming to pass in your life. This is your brain on prayer, filled and pregnant with possibilities. This is your brain on prayer, peaceful despite all of life's problems. This is your brain on prayer. If you want to affect your mind, God said, remember that I'm near. He said, he said, and pray with all prayer. And supplication. Employ this mind-altering tool and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Prayer is that powerful. Will you stand to your feet?